Hey, I'm Alan Hunter. You're listening on the Pantheon Network. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. If your big plans this year include your big day, plan your look with Indochino. Customize every detail of a blazer, suit, or tuxedo online or at a showroom with an expert style guide. Then sit back for delivery straight to your door. Suits start at just $4.49 and premium fitted shirts at just $89. Go to Indochino.com and use code NEWCHAPTER for 10% off any purchase of $3.99 or more. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O dot com, code NEWCHAPTER. You've been burning, and baby, I've been learning all those good times. Recognize that song? It's Led Zeppelin's Whole Lot of Love if it were deeply influenced by the sounds of Laurel Canyon circa 1967. Hello again, this is Patrick Prince, editor of Goldmine, the music collector's magazine since 1974, and this is the Goldmine Podcast, partner of Pantheon Podcast Network. Don't forget to pick up the print edition of Goldmine at select Barnes & Noble and Books A Million stores every month, and go to goldminemag.com for more content and music collecting news. And we've become a stronger marketplace, this time newly pressed vinyl and collectibles in our brand new store, shop.goldminemag.com. Go there and check it out. So the reason that cover of Zeppelin sounds so much like California 60s is because it's a rendition by James Lee Stanley and Dan Navarro, two guitarists deeply influenced by that California movement 50-plus years ago. It's from an album by these two musicians called All Wood and Lead, full of acoustic renditions of classic Zeppelin songs. It's not the first time Stanley has done this kind of tribute. He's done it with The Doors and The Stones before, acoustic rendition tributes to both bands. And he knew Navarro, late of Lone and Navarro. He knew Navarro was a huge Zep fan, and so they put this project together. All wood and lead. So we'll be right back to talk to James Lee Stanley, right after this message from CygnusRadio.com. Hey, I'm Ronald Webb, and this is Patrick Prince. And together we host the Goldmine Radio Hour, the show that features the latest issue of Goldmine, the music collector's magazine. Tune in Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on CygnusRadio.com. Hey, James. So I really dig this album, man. It's, well, thank, uh, you. thank you very much. I started as you know a Led Zeppelin fan as a kid, so naturally i was attracted to this but i liked you've had several other acoustic projects well dan sang on some of my solo albums of the years when he was partnered with eric lowen 
but this is the first duet project we've done. I did uh, All Wood and Stones with John Batdorf from Batdorf and Rodney. And as a matter of fact, uh, as I recall, Goldmine gave that a really nice review, but it was like 2004, you know? Mm. Every couple of years I do one just for the fun of it. Uh, I did uh, uh, All Wooden Doors with Cliff Everhart, but I did that because John, I, a friend of mine was taking my lunch with John Dinsmore, and I said, Jesus, I, I love the doors, man. I gotta tell you, this is really true. The first time I heard the doors, I was in San Jose State with uh, my friend Ray Fo. We're driving in this little microbus, you know, and and light my fire comes on. Uh, Tom Downey was the DJ at that station, that great FM station in San Francisco, and uh, and we heard light my fire, and we literally pulled over to listen to it. We couldn't drive and listen to it, you know, and I don't think the opium had anything to do with it, man. We were, I was so sold on that band. I just loved them. So my friend's going to lunch, and he's going. Have lunch with John Densmore, and I said, "Can you take my book and just ask him to sign? You know, Riders in the Storm. Just have him." And he said, "Why don't you just come?" And I said, "Okay." And and I go to go to lunch, you know, and I stick out my hand. I go, "Hi, James Lee Stanley." Really nice. And he goes, "James Lee Stanley, I love what you did to the Stones, man." And I was like, "Densmore knows I'm on the planet," you know. I was so thrilled. He says, "Sit down." So we sit down. We have lunch. We're laughing and having a good time. And he says, "You know what?" If you do the doors like you did the stones, I'll play them. Mm. And I said, okay, <laughs> you know, <laughs> of course. And and so uh, I called John. I said, John, I just had the, I just had lunch with John Densmore. He went, he's going to be doing the doors. And John said, I never liked the doors, man. I said, okay. So I called Cliff Everhart, who had approached me about doing a duet album. And I said, you want to do this? And he said, sure. And we had never sung together or anything. And uh, and so. He flew out and we went over the catalog and picked uh, 11 songs we could do. And then he left. And famous people came out of the woodwork for that album, man. Not only was Peter Tork on it, uh, he's on all my records, but uh, uh, Timothy Schmidt from the Eagles, Paul Barrera from Little Feet, uh, Chad Watson from Janice Ian's band and from Glennie and Bonnie, uh, Scott Bremen from Lindsey Buckingham. Uh, Oh, and John Densmore and, and uh, Robbie Krieger from The Doors played on it. Lawrence Jumper from Wings played on it. I mean, yeah. you know, the only person not famous on that record was, you know? Well, you have a lot of, you have a lot of famous collaborators. Um, I mean, let's go to the beginning, uh, 1964. Uh, maybe you could explain a little bit about how your career began. You've oh, met. Uh, well, you've you met, know, I, you were yeah, in the middle I, of it all. I really was, uh, I mean, even though I, this was in Virginia Beach, but but because of uh, D.C. Was a, was a hotbed of, of music then, believe it or not. A lot of great clubs, a lot of great musicians. And uh, I used to go up and, and play the cellar door open mic on Sundays. And they used to they used to lead onto the stage this blind kid to play. And it was Feliciano. Hmm. It was the beginning of that. And, uh, and I'd been thrown out of high school, as I say, just because I quiet about suffering assholes, you know what I mean? I I used to actually feel compelled to make sure they knew they were assholes. I, I've gotten over that because it's it's not helpful, you know? But that's how I got thrown out of high school. And, uh, and then I went back in the fall to school and then I wanted to go, all these guys uh, weren't famous yet. And so I went back to high school, as I say, it was 65 and graduated. 
and then uh, I wanted to go to college, and my family was really poor. So I, I joined the Air Force, A, to keep from being drafted into the infantry and killed in Vietnam. So I joined the Air Force, which had a pretty high rate of uh, survival, you know, and, uh, and also because it was four years and they would pay for four years of college. And it was while I was in college, uh, I went to the Air Force, and then I came back and went right to L.A. And, and enrolled at LACC, then slowly began reconnecting with all these people, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, I think through Leah, uh, I ended up reconnecting with Cass, and through Cass, who was the great connector of all time, you know. Uh, I, I met everybody. I, I, you know, I, didn't, uh, I must admit that, that I wasn't, I'm really good now, man, but, but when I was 21, but when Steven Stills was 21, he was playing Bluebird, you know? And when I was 21, I couldn't figure out how anyone could play like that. He was just, you know, the guys, the guys that, uh, that coalesced there were just remarkable. And, and uh, so, so while I, I met them and, and hung with them a little bit, it wasn't like they said, James, come on over and jam, you know? They were, they were on another level entirely. And I was in school studying, I was a wannabe, you know? And then before I graduated from college, I got a record deal. As soon as I got a record deal, I was in the club and my friends came out of the woodwork and everybody played on my records. You know, Doug Dillard played banjo, uh, Larry Carlton played guitar, Russ Kunkel. Well, Russ was Leah's husband, so of course he was on my first couple of records. And, uh, and he introduced me to Jim Gordon, who and Layla. I just ended up meeting everybody and living in LA. And uh, I think. I might have done a little better, but I fell in love with this girl from Glendale. It was really gorgeous. And she went to Santa Cruz to go to college. So I went up there to, to be with her. And I was up there for 10 years. And uh, I think if I'd been down here, I'd have been more involved. Because like Stephen Bishop and I were, were friends from when he was 19. We played songs together and toured together a lot. But while I was living in Santa Cruz and playing rock star in this little tiny pond, you know, big fish, little tiny pond, Stephen was very famous in the big pond, you know, mm -hmm. and, and that's what pretty much happened to all my friends. But amazingly enough, we stayed friends. I'm friends with everybody still, you know, and they, and they play my records. Uh, you know, although, you know, on this record, uh, all wood and lead, because I moved up to this mountain, I used to call Paul Barrera, who lived literally five blocks away. And I'd say, Paul, come over. I need some slide, you know, or Timothy P. Schmidt, come over and Oh, yeah, he was in, on all those records, too, from the Eagles. Uh, I, Timothy, I need a high part. As a matter of fact, when I did the first All Wood and Stones record, uh, it was going to be John Vantorf and me and a guy named George Merrill, who wrote How Will I Know and was in a band called Boy Meets Girl, I think. Mm. They, they wrote How Will I Know and I Want to Dance with Somebody. So they were you know, very successful songwriters. And he was going to be the high voice. And three days before we would start the project, called up and said, James, I, I can't do it. I've got to, I've got to plan my elopement. And I said, what? <laughs> Planning an elopement? You know how an elopement works, right? <laughs> it's like the opposite of plan. You know what I mean? You don't invite people to your elopement. But anyway, I said, fine, George, no problem. And I called my wife. I was playing in San Diego. And I called her. I said, Evelina, George just bailed out of the project. And she said, why don't you call Timothy? Mm. And I said, 
Well, because I haven't spoken to Timothy in two years and he's in the Eagles. And she said, well, what have you got to lose? So, <laughs> I, so I called Timothy and I said, hey, I'm doing this thing. You want to uh, you want to do the high voice? And he said, sure. So he came over and and uh, this is so weird, Pat. He came over and we sang uh, last time. That was the first cut we did. And he did a fabulous job on it. And and the next morning we're supposed to record again. He calls me about 10 o'clock and he goes, James. This is weird, man, but I just got a call from Henley. He's putting the band back together. And I said, so let's see. <laughs> All the songs with John and I were bass player on the Eagles. I don't know, man. Sounds like a tough choice. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Because you know, if you go with me, I can give you all the CDs you can eat. Whereas if you go with the Eagles, all you're going to get is rich as a So he went off with the Eagles. And then in August, man, we were just coming to the last tune of the project. And Timothy called up. He said, James, I'm back in town. Are you still working on that thing? And I said, yeah. He said, you want to? I said, yeah, absolutely. So he came over. He sang on the last song we recorded in the first song. Just awesome. But anyhow, as I was saying, all these people would come up. But for all wood and lead, I moved up here. Uh, I live about two and a half hours from Los Angeles. The traffic isn't too awful. Consequently, I don't get a lot of walk up. You know what I mean? Uh, mm. People don't drop by. <laughs> and uh, I mean, you can send stuff. I, I have sent, you know, I've, I've sent entire projects to people like the percussionists say, here, you know, do what you want and send it back to me. I'll use what I want. But I I was up here in this mountain by myself with, in this beautiful studio. And so I, Uh, all wooden stones. I guess I mean, it's, all wooden, excuse me. And, it's and the opposite then, uh, of uh, Cass Elliot's house, where you get walk-ups all the time, right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I was on the road with David Crosby, but I actually met him at her house. I met Joni. Oh, no, I met Joni when she was doing uh, in the studio with Henry Louis because Stephen Bishop was working with Henry Louis, and so we went down there. But I met a lot of people at Cass's house, you know? It was like the little epicenter of, of Laurel Canyon, you know? <laughs> Up on Woodville. What made you pick from, like you were saying, you went from the Stones. I mean, this is a great way of doing things. The Stones, the Doors. What made you think of Zeppelin? Well, it was actually Dan's idea. And Navarro said, man, I love these projects you're doing. I want to do one with you. I want to do Led Zeppelin. And I said, I'll tell you the truth, Dan, I, I don't know Led Zeppelin. Right. I, I only know a lot of love and, and Way to Heaven. Those, those, those are the only two tunes I really know because they played them to death on the radio. I don't really know their catalog. So Dan bought every single one of their CDs and sent them to me. And then I took them out on the road and, and played through them all once. And I thought, that's not anything like me, you know? So I came back from the road and I called them and I said, let's, let's get together. And let's just play guitars and see which of these songs resonates for us. Down at his house, and then I came up here. Oh, and I recorded on my phone every everything that we did. Hmm. And then when I came up here, I, I threw that into the computer and uh, to make sure that I I got Dan's ideas. I didn't want to mess without him. You know what I mean? I wanted him to be an integral part of the project. Well, what I love uh, is that Led Zeppelin is based. They're all, all the members of Zeppelin are influenced by either country blues, blues itself, a lot of folk, Americana, Celtic folk. Definitely Celtic, yeah. Um, so 
when you've done this acoustic project on all these, and a lot of these songs were heavy blues, it, it works because the roots of the song are based in um, sort of this Americana or cleaning. Yeah, so although you pointing out the blues, they really, really were. I mean, no matter what they did, uh, Jimmy Page is all those blues scales. Yeah. You know, and when I was doing it, I realized that you know, coming up, uh, I didn't hear a lot of blues. I heard a lot of the uh, Ravel, and so those are the scales that are in my head. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, so I, I apply different different scales than they ever use, you know, because they, they really, so it, it, it gave it a, a freshness that, uh, you know, if I tried to cop the blues things, I would have just been a, a right. very sad person to Jimmy Page, you know. Well, this is why it works, is the acoustic thing really works. Um, you could yeah, have. I mean, they really did have, they loved acoustic uh, Americana, there's something around it, you know. And you know you didn't pick anything from uh, Led Zeppelin three really that you could have picked some songs. There were songs off of Zeppelin three that were had a lot of acoustic Celtic leanings, but you you stayed away from that, which I like. Um, they already did that, Pat. You know, what yeah, I mean? exactly. Uh, I, I mean that's why a whole lot of love. Like when I when right. when I said I said you know what I know what I want to do a whole lot of love. I want to make it. Sexy. Yeah. Not, uh, you know, like, you need school and no, you know, he was, you know what I mean? He was really, yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, macho uh, thing. And I thought, I want to make this where people can put this on and make love, you know? <laughs> well, my, was, I think the, the song that comes over the best is rock and roll because you know, just a statement of the song when Zeppelin did it, you know, it's been a long time since I rock and roll, right? But you give it a new a perspective where it's an acoustic leaning and it's saying, you know, it's been a long time since I rock and roll. Like it's mellow, but you're thinking about it, you know? And it just, it's a different perspective. And that cover, that's one of the best covers. I don't, I've I've heard other bands do it and they do it straightforward, but a cover to me needs to be different, right? It needs exactly, exactly. It's been a long time since I rock and roll. It's been a long time since I did the stroll. Let me get it back, let me get it back, let me get it back now Back to where I come from, yeah Been a long time, been a long time, been a long, lonely, 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 lonely time so that's one of the best covers I've heard of a Zeppelin song. Thank you, man. I, I think that's the one where uh, there's some really kind of strange ethereal guitar floating in the background. Yeah. Yeah. It turns out that, that that was actually recorded on my little phone from our rehearsal. And, and I remember thinking, gee, it's got a really otherworldly sound to it. So I, 
I just you know edited it and and threaded it in here, but it's not. It was still, it was recorded on this little thing, man. You know. <laughs> I've I've had other musicians record on the iPhone and it comes out really nice. Um, it's interesting yeah. how much yeah, technology yeah. has come this far. But also the uh, I mean it's it's not great sound quality, but it is very unique sound quality. You know, it and is. The, and I mean the Beatles did that all the time. They didn't care what it came from. Just you know, I mean you know the bass on Rain. You know how he did that. Jeffrey Emmerich actually took a bass speaker and rewired it in a microphone. Hmm. And that was the that was the bass on the on the rain. You know that all the stuff that McCartney did? Yeah. That was the, that was the amp they used, the big bass speaker as hmm. a microphone. Interesting. Yeah. So I mean I, I I don't care where the sound comes from if I like it, you know. And you made a blues song like Good Times, Bad Times sound like Grateful Dead. It sounds like a, <laughs> which is that hard to do. In the days of my youth, I was told what it means be a man. the first one we did uh my band came up uh oh no i guess i was in la then he got together and we we figured that one out uh, pretty quick and then we didn't do it for two years because i remember i was driving and i have i know people some writers have uh, writer's block mm -hmm. i've never had a writer's block in my life i've never had a dry period I, I mean i've made 35 albums and i still have another thousand songs i could record you know i uh but I put them all on the phone. I get an idea that goes into the phone. And so I have a I have probably seven or eight hundred ideas in the phone. And I go through them when I'm driving and then if something hits me, I, I write a song with that. But sometimes bad times came on man, and I thought, what the hell is this? Who is this? Because it had been two years. I was driving thinking, this is good, but I don't I don't think I wrote this. What is this? You know, it was so weird, man. And then all of a sudden I went, ah, that's Dan. Oh yeah, so we did that. And and a lot of times I get a when I do shows, I I tend to get to the the venue around five o'clock. I go in the dressing room and I play. I just sit there in the dark and play. They come out and they say do a sound check. I go do a sound check back in the dressing room and I play. I do that until the show starts at eight. You know. So and I, when you're playing, you're in the dark. You get ideas for songs. And when I got some little great idea for guitar lick, I put it in the phone. And then when I did the album, I went through and went, ah, this is a cool thing. I know exactly where I can use this, you know, and I would play it. How do you, how do you organize all these ideas? They're just... Uh... Absolutely not, no organization whatsoever. 
you know, I just, uh, I have a really good memory. I mean, it's, it is fading, I will admit, but, but I've had a prodigious memory all my life. Peter was always amazed. If I went out, like when they meet in Greek, I'd go out and, uh, and meet 50 or 60 people. I swear this is true, Pat. I did, I did a show uh, in Vegas at this place called the Acoustic, Acoustic Roots. And it was a Wednesday night show in Vegas for acoustic players. And about 60 people came. And I met them on the meet and greet. And when the show was over, I said goodnight to them from the stage by name, every one of them. So my memory's pretty good. I can't do that now, Ralph, but for a while there, I. I... <laughs> <laughs> That's a gift to, to... <laughs> yeah, you know why I did it, man? Because working at the shadows, uh the first summer, I I just it was a band called the Gateway Trio and the bass player was actually uh in the four freshmen and in the accidentals, you know, those kind of jazz groups in the fifties. And uh and played great bass and, and I met him and I was very thrilled. And the next year I worked the club again and, and they came again. And when I saw him, I went, oh, no chapter, you know. And and I got all excited and I thought oh, I gotta be cool. So I just walked over to the manager and I said, you know, we need to get some protuberator rods for the rotor strap, you know, some kind of bullshit. And Milton went, Jim, young Jim. And and he remembered me. And I thought, I was so thrilled. I thought, you know, the famous I'm gonna do. I'm gonna remember everybody's name because that, that you know, somebody who's by once a year, it makes yeah. you feel like you made an impression, you know, and it's not hard to do, really. Pay attention. You know, it, it does take a certain gift, though. To <laughs> you have to do association, I think sometimes. Um, I was going to uh, mention "Dazed and Confused." Now that song's interesting because the Yardbirds, the predecessor to Led Zeppelin, mm -hmm. um, nicked that song from a local artist while they were touring uh, with the artist, um, Jake Holmes. They were touring oh, with Jake I Holmes. Yeah, and they blame it on Jimmy Page, but it was actually a, um, some of the guys in the Yardbirds, and they went and got the record, Jake Holmes' record, uh, from, I think it was Bleaker Bob's record shop in New York City, and played it and said, you know, back then, everyone played each other's songs, you know, and they just started, Yardbird just started playing that song in their live show. And then the end of the Yardbirds came and Jimmy Page just continued playing it, <laughs> but they gave it a blues, a heavy blues sound instead of a, you know, very mellow folky song. So you kind of returned it. <laughs> well, I've never heard that. I'll tell you the truth. Uh, I've only heard their catalog once. I listened to every single thing. Yeah. So I I really don't know how they did any of them except for. Uh, right. I'm curious what you would but, think of the original, the Jake Holmes rendition. But so, that's the thing is that, that I Dan was saying we got it. You know we've got to be faithful. I said no, we don't. Yeah. They already didn't stand it. We can do whatever we want as long as we give them the money. You know because you have to license all that stuff. To, Right. Like I'm sure Dan was a big fan, right? So I'm sure. Huge, huge fan. So I'm wondering, 
did Dan hear from the band? The Led Ze any members of Led Zeppelin hear this? Well, I mean, the, the record's only been out about two weeks, uh, so I don't think so. I know that Mike Kappas from Rosebud Music. Do you know that agency? No, no. They're in San Francisco, and they they had Robert Cray, and they had uh, John Lee Hooker, the, all of these blues acts, and uh, and Mike is a friend of mine. And he had Charlie Watts's jazz band. Mm -hmm. Well, I saw Wood and Stones. This is so weird. Mike comes to LA and he calls me, James, I'm in town. You want to grab lunch? I said, Yeah, absolutely. So we're having lunch. He said, What are you doing? I said, Well, I just just finished back Wood and Stones. I, said, I, I really wish I could get into the Stones, but I, I don't know how. And he said, Yep. I said, What? What do you mean? He said, I booked Charlie's band. He said, You know where I'm going tomorrow morning? I said, No, where? He said. Montreal, they're having, they're rehearsing the band, the whole band's going, I said, I'm going to, to see the Stones tomorrow. And I said, oh, would you, he said, of course. So I, I ran out to the car where I happened to have 500 copies. Of <laughs> I came back, I gave him 10 copies of all of the Stones and he gave it to all of the Stones. And uh, I never heard a peep from one of them. So, I bet from you Robin Trigger and John Densmore, I heard fabulous things. You know, they, uh, the, the documentarian Gary Katz just did a documentary on me, and and uh, and John spoke on it, and and he spoke, uh, you know, very highly of what. Uh, That's very me, cool. But also of what we did with the, you know, he loved what we did to the Stones. I mean, to the Doors. And, well, and I'm curious what the uh, members of the surviving members of Zeppelin would say. I think Robert Plant, the vocalist, would really love this. I think he would enjoy it. Uh, I, I know some people who know Allison Krauss, so I was, I was thinking of reaching out, and I thought, you know, you should. But the idea of like, let me lean on you because you know Allison Krauss, who knows, you know, Robert Plant. It just feels like, you know, what's it going to hurt? You know. Yeah, it's true. It isn't like Allison gives a rat's ass about me anyhow. So I guess I, <laughs> I guess I could do it. You know, I, I, you know what, Pat? I'm so naive. I, I still believe those old Hollywood movies where you get famous because you're really good. <laughs> and the fact of the matter is that, is that I've been doing this for 50 years, and you can't imagine how many really, really great musicians and, and songwriters and singers that I know of I've never heard of, you know? Well, it's networking, too, being at the right place at the right time, you know? Yeah. All yeah, but Combined. I think luck has more to do with it than anything because the fact of the matter is, lots of us are talented. Yeah. Unless it's discouraged or squashed when we're coming up, and all of us, arts and all of us, it really is. Some people, it's easier than for others. You know, like Stills playing Bluebird at 21. I right. couldn't play when I was 21. I can't play like that now. I mean, what do you put it on Bluebird? <laughs> you know, magnificent. Well, Dan, then Dan also do the artwork for the, this album's cover. He did. He's he's a really good graphic artist. I I actually found the uh, the image of the two guitars, and That's I sent it to him. I, I said, "Let's use this," and uh, and then he went through it and and made it very cool. He like put some rivets on the one guitar, so we're coming out of the heavy metal thing, you know. Yeah, yeah it was it was very clever. And, I love and it. You know, album covers can easily be uh, cheesy, and this is, you know, this is really good. You can have, you know, um, 
a band like even Zeppelin come out with a cheesy album cover. And this is just, this explains the title perfectly. All wood and lead. It's perfect. <laughs> Actually, I, I've always thought the covers are important. If you wander over to my website, all of my covers are pretty cool. I, I rarely use a photograph of me because I thought, hey, when I was coming up, you know, there were LPs and, and they were like paintings or, or it was like art. I always wanted the cover to be some kind of piece of art. There's only one with me on the cover, and that's a, uh, the guy, that, uh, a famous movie painter. Uh, he did Son of Green, and he did uh, Canary Row, all these big movies he did. And he was a friend of mine, and I said, why don't you, you know, you want to do a cover? And he said, sure. And so what I told him to do was I gave him all the songs on this album, and I said, listen to it. Just pull one image from each song and make some kind of surreal painting that includes those images. And, and maybe people will never put it together, but make a legitimate painting. And he said, okay. And so he did it, he sent it over to RCA without me even seeing it. And, uh, and when I saw it, it was a picture of me looking like Chef in Hollywood with little images from the thing. And I, and I thought, what am I doing on the record? I didn't, you know, I, I never wanted my face to be on the records. So I always thought, it doesn't matter. Plus, you know, I was a really pretty young man and I, and I didn't want people to think I, I was getting a deal because I was pretty. You know what I mean? Uh, I'm no longer pretty, but but for a minute there, I had it going on that. <laughs> so I never wanted to use that because I, I didn't want I didn't want them to uh, delegitimize my music by saying ah another pretty face. You know? Well, I think the the best way to describe this album, as you put it in the liner notes, I think it was that you said if uh, Led Zeppelin had lived in Laurel Canyon in 1967. Right. Uh, I think that's the best way of describing it. It has, and that was, that was basically you. Um, yeah. Laurel Canyon. You put I, I, your soul still, I mean, into, basically into the Led well, Zeppelin. That, that kind of sound though, that those acoustic guitars and, and the, I, yeah, and that's that's what I love, you know. Well, I wish you yeah. all the best with this this new album. I'm going to pump it on my end. All I sure appreciate Thanks. Bye. Thank you, James Lee. Listeners can pick up All Wood and Lead at jamesleestanley.com if you can't find it in your favorite record store. And again, don't forget to visit our brand new store, shop.goldminemag.com. That's shop.goldminemag.com. And also pick up the latest print edition of Goldmine at select Barnes & Noble and Books A Million stores every month. And go to goldminemag.com every day for more content and music collecting news and tips. That'll be all. This is Pat Prince, editor of Goldmine, signing off. We'll see you next time on the Goldmine Podcast.